Well, good morning once again. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church, and uh, such a joy um, to be with you this morning and to be able to open up God's Word uh, together. Um, so thankful to see many new friends and guests with us once again every week. I have the opportunity of looking out and saying, hey, there's people here that I don't know. And that's a, uh, something that we don't take for granted. It's something that we rejoice over. And we're so glad that you're here. Most of all, we're glad you're here, not because it helps us, but because we pray that you would meet Almighty God in this place. We pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ would encourage you and strengthen you and bless you um, as you go forward and live uh, throughout the rest of this week. As I just alluded to in my prayer last week, and um, we spent some extended time in prayer um, during our Sunday morning gathering. If you weren't with us, we uh, really spent most of our time just singing and praying because of just so many things that were weighing on my heart, on our hearts, uh, just as a people, and felt like it was right that if we wanted to see the power of God at work in these things, we should seek the power of God. And we do that through prayer and through going to his word. And so um, we spent uh, a Sunday morning, a little less time in a sermon or hearing me exposit the scriptures and more time in that season. I want to encourage you, as I just said, here we are a week later and I think we could do that all over again. And we could do that every week. We could do that every day of our lives and we should. Um, but as a church, just in our sort of corporate calendar, what we do in the life of our church, I want to remind you and encourage you that the second Sunday of every month at five o'clock, uh, what we did last Sunday morning is just, in a sense, kind of a preview of what we do um, during our uh, evening worship and prayer nights. And so um, make a point the second Sunday of every month, um, unless for some reason there's a rare, weird uh, you know, holiday, like Christmas Day falls on that Sunday, we'll, we won't gather, and you'll know plenty of time. But you can just mark your calendars the second Sunday of every month at 5 o'clock. Come here and join us as we pray and we seek the Lord together. You heard Chris read Mark chapter 12, and um, where we're going uh, just as we sort of close out this uh, series on discipleship, we essentially have two more weeks of this, um, and uh, looking at what it means to be a follower of Jesus. When we use the word disciple, we mean a follower, and we, we defined that a couple weeks ago, that discipleship is growing in submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. As we consider all of that and now begin to kind of talk about application and how we live that out, I wanted to look beginning in Mark chapter 12 that Chris read for us. My expectation is as you heard that text read, you are probably very familiar with the phrase, one line of verse 17 that says, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. That probably uh, is replayed in our minds for whatever reason in this passage of scripture. That seems to be the line that sort of is captured because in some ways it is what was being addressed. Jesus, the Pharisees and the Herodians are coming to trap Jesus to try and get him to essentially commit a crime that would lead to Caesar uh, killing him. And in doing so, they ask him the question, should we pay taxes? And if he would have said, no, you shouldn't pay taxes, they knew that they would have the ability to turn him in. But Jesus, obviously, being as wise as he is and knowing exactly their hearts, he understood they were trying to trap them. And in a way that I think only Jesus could do. He answered them perfectly. The amazing thing I always love about these interactions that Jesus has with the Pharisees, I would just think for a moment, why is this in our text? Why did Mark choose to record this? Why did the Holy Spirit inform the author that this should be in the Bible? 
Um, I think sometimes as we read these stories, especially in the Gospels, Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in those uh, four books, sometimes we hear these stories between Jesus and the Pharisees and we think, oh, they just wanted us to know that the Pharisees were bad guys. No, that, has, that, that is not God's intent to make us think that the Pharisees are bad guys. The Pharisees were sinners just like you and I. The Pharisees were sort of tended to find their hope in what they knew rather than in the Messiah that they were looking at. We honestly do very much of the same. That's not the point of why this text and why any of these stories are in our scriptures. The reason that they're recorded is because we get to hear Jesus interacting with sinful, broken people just like you and me that have some of the same questions, very many of the same challenges, perhaps presented differently, but we get to see Jesus answer. We get to hear him address real life challenges. And so while it's true that the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus and do all these bad things to him, Jesus' answer is where we should put our attention, not so much on what the Pharisees ask, but how Jesus answers them. And if you've heard this preached before, this text sort of exposited before, again, my guess is that there's been a lot of emphasis, which is right, on proper rendering to Caesar that which is Caesar, our interaction with our government. And we focus on that first half. But where I want to spend our time really focusing this morning is on the second half of that verse. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's which caused them, when he said that, to marvel at him, is what the verse says. To be amazed at his wisdom, his ability, not to trick them, but to answer them properly, with wisdom and with truth. So the way that Jesus does this is he asks them, as they ask him what they should do with taxes and how they should do it, he says, let me see one of your coins. So he takes the coin, and just like our coins, I don't think I, nope, I don't have one in my pocket. I thought, I'd, oh, yes, I do. See, I got too much trash in there, like Mary Poppins over here. All right. <laughs> On the front of our coins, there's a face and words and a name. And in their same way, this is what was on their coins. On their coins was a picture of Caesar, his name, and essentially what Jesus says, which is the truth. Caesar made this, put his image on it, defining it as his, give it back to him. He gives it to you, give it back to him however he asked for it, in a sense, is what he says. Then he says, render to God that which is God's. Jesus uses this illustration of the coin, which is what we, they paid their taxes in, that had the image of Caesar on it. And because it had the image of Caesar on it, that proved that it belonged to Caesar, and then he turns and he says, render to God that which is God's. With this idea of image clearly in their minds, and hopefully you're still seeing this in your own minds. Render to God that which is God's. You and I are created in the image of God. Just like the coin, because it has Caesar's image on it, belongs to Caesar. And he says, go give it back to him. You and I are created in the image of God. And because we have God's image crafted into us, we are called, Jesus is saying to these people that claim to be followers of God, give your life fully to God. Give your life completely over to God. We are people created in the image of God. You we're created in the image of God. In the same way that Jesus instructs 
the people to give the coins back to Caesar. We are to render our lives to God because we are created in his image. We are his, his creation. My friend, Jonathan Dotson in his book, Gospel-Centered Discipleship, which we're all going to get a chance to read, an opportunity to read and dive into more deeply. I'll tell you about that later. He says that Christianity is all about image, about reflecting the image of God. In discipleship, when we think of making disciples and spending time with one another in discipleship relationships, discipleship is about helping us rightly see our image through the lens of the gospel, which is how God sees us if we're in Christ. See, because of the gospel, friends, all of that condemnation that you feel in your life, whether that's today or in days past or tomorrow morning or whenever it is, those accusations that Pastor Matt alluded to that come against us, you need to know the truth of the gospel, that that's not how God sees you. If you're in Christ, God sees you as his son or his daughter that he loves, that he's proud of, that he is is so encouraged by. He doesn't see you through condemnation. That's how the enemy sees us, and that's the things that the enemy says to us. But when God looks at you as his created image and redeemed by the hope of Christ, by that gospel, he sees you differently. Too often, I think we go throughout our lives, and I know this is just a sort of a, uh, an overflow of that pharisaical lens of looking at the world. We think that God is out there trying to condemn us. Let me just find them just sort of messing up, just looking for some way to sort of trap you in something that you did wrong so that he can condemn you. Can I just ask you just a simple question about that? If he sent his one and only son to lay down his life on a cross, yes, a cross, to the point of death, and then that son took up his life again, do you think there's any reason? Why would God take joy in condemning you? He's already condemned his own son for you. And if that's the truth, which it is, then no, God is not looking around trying to trap us or find some way. Let me just see if I can get them to screw up. I know that that's some legalism that perhaps some of us have grown up in. That's not the way God sees you. He sees you as his son or his daughter when he sees you through the lens of the gospel. And here's what discipleship does. The reason that we're spending so much time talking about this and we're trying to encourage it and exhort you to get in relationships with other people that remind you, that tell you, that teach you, that inform you of how God sees you and that you see your own life through the lens of the gospel every day rather than looking at your life and seeing things the way the world says that we might should see them. We have to fight for this. We have to fight because our sin nature has distorted our vision and we forget who we are as image bearers. In Christianity, it is about image. I agree with Jonathan. And the gospel is about restoring that image, making all things new. So I wanna just spend a few moments looking at this image idea and how discipleship and spending time with other believers, encouraging one another, helps us. The first thing we have to understand, as I said, is that we are created in the image of God. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says it very clearly. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Remember the coin with the likeness of Caesar on it? 
We are created with his likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over our livestock and all the earth over creeping things that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. The image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We bear his image. You bear the image of God. If you want to understand more fully why in Christianity as the church, the people of God, we are pro-life. We stand for people. We say that we should, uh, should be, be fighting and encouraging and doing all that we can to protect human life. It's because every single human being is created in, in the image of God. And as image bearers of God, those people have value. All life has value. Do you want to know why as Christians we're not to attack one another, we're not to accuse one another, we're not to treat each other badly, really anyone in the world, but you know, as, as, the, as people of God, this is how we're to interact? Because anytime we interact with someone, we don't say, let me just see all of the reasons that I could hate them or all of the reasons that I should dislike them or all of the reasons I should fear them or all the reasons, whatever the thing might be. We look at every single human being and we say, that is an individual created in the image of God. And as an image bearer of God, God, he or she has value. That's simply because we are image bearers, each and every one of us has value to God, but also to one another. But so often, as I alluded to in my opening prayer this morning, we forget who we are. We have to remember that we belong to God because we were created by God. We forget so often because of sin, sin being a very real condition. If you're a guest with us, I don't know your background, but it wouldn't surprise me if you don't hear sin talked about very often in churches any longer, especially not in culture. We don't want to call anything sinful. Sin is just doing things that would be counter to God's word in thought, in action, in deed, whatever it might be. And sin entered into the world Paul, addressing this issue in the, his letter to the Romans, in Romans chapter 5, he talks about this. Back in chapter 3, 23, he says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so he knew that they might, having heard that in chapter 3, he says, let me explain to you why that's true and how I know that to be true. And so he comes to chapter 5. He says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world, this is verse 12, through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. He's speaking of Adam there. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgressions of Adam. So what he's saying there is that all of these problems, all the sins of the world started with Adam, and even though the sin looks different, we all sin. We all have these issues. Verse 17, for if because one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. He continues down in 18, therefore as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification for life for all of them. He's pointing to this idea that sin entered in Adam and it affects every single one of us. And the sin issue, whatever it might look like, it manifests itself differently in our lives. But one of the primary things that sin does is it mars our ability to see ourselves and see others as image bearers of God. 
It mars our ability to see ourselves through the lens of the gospel. Again, just practically, I just encourage you to think about this in this very moment. Right now, I tell you, believe in the gospel of Jesus. And you say, yes and amen, I do believe that is true. This afternoon, as soon as you walk out from this place, sorry, but I just know this is going to be true. Somebody's going to mess it up. Probably going to be me. And in that moment, what's going to happen is all of the effects of my sinfulness are going to come into play. Oh, man, I messed that up. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have spoken in that way. I went way too long in my sermon. That's not a sin. Uh, (laughs) All these things are going to just be rattling on in my brain. And I'm going to be telling myself, and sin mars, it interrupts. It's like the electronic signal of, of the gospel getting through to my heart and my mind. There's an interruption there, and that's sin. And I begin to get focused on the attacks of the enemy, and oh, everybody hates me, especially you know, God, he, he, he condemns me because of this issue, whatever I just did, whatever I just said, whatever I didn't do, whatever those things might be. And we need to remember the gospel, but sin causes us to forget that. And this is where the gospel comes into play. And the power of the gospel is proven because the power of the gospel overcomes that. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You want to know what that image is that we're being transformed into? the image of Christ. We all who put our faith in Christ, who put our hope in the gospel, we're being transformed from one degree to the next. We're moving forward as we look more and more like Jesus. And the way that we do that is when we have those sin issues, we behold the glory of the Lord. This is what he says. With, unve- with an unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, with no interruption, no veil between us, we now can look at Jesus and we can behold his glory. We can grow in submission to Christ as Lord. And in doing so, we look more like Jesus. This is why, again, we have to fight for this. Because that sin issue that attacks us and gets in our minds, begins to noodle around and causes us to say and do all sorts of things, causes us to stop waiting on the Lord, whatever those things might be. We have to be constantly reminded of the gospel and apply the gospel message. And we have to behold the glory of Christ that died for that sin once and for all. And as we behold him and worship him, we begin to look more like him. This is why discipleship This is why this gathering is so important. Let me try and explain this perhaps a little bit more clearly. My family gets mad at me. Literally, there's anger involved. Every beginning of the cowboy season. It happened just last night. Do you think we're going to be any good? Of course. Have you seen Dak? I mean, Dak's back. Receivers look amazing. We got four of them. We'll probably be able to trade one for like 17 linebackers. And uh, it, it, it's going to be great. 12 and 5. Write that down, by the way. And they get mad. They get angry because of every year. You always say that. Every year you say that. And we're terrible every year. I know. But this year is different. 
here's my problem. I go all summer long, the great long drought of summer, which is very painful for me. And then come August, I see that star on that helmet. And I behold the glory of the star. (laughs) And as I behold the glory of the star, I'm convinced that we can do no wrong, that we will surely have a winning season and a Super Bowl. Now, you all think I'm crazy. Some of you are angry with me right now for even voicing this, just like my family. But do you see what I behold, the thing I love, one of the things I love as it, it changes my perspective Now, let me just be serious for a moment. Jesus, the gospel, the hope of Christ is not anything compared to a football team. But my interaction with it is somewhat similar. As I behold the glory of Christ, as I behold the glory of the gospel, as the gospel truth seeps into my soul and Mary, it changes, it transforms. The word of God is true. It transforms the way I live, the way I do, the decisions I make. And I look more like Jesus as I behold him more. It's a cycle, friends. Behold Jesus. Behold the gospel. Know that it's the true word of God. Know that is where our hope is found. And as we do that, we will grow to look more like him. Verse 6 of this same chapter in 2 Corinthians. For God said, "Let let light shone out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The gospel allows us, allows us to behold that glory. Let light shine out of darkness. That's what God said. That same God has shown in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. This is the amazing thing. You and I can know the gospel because we look to Jesus. And where there was darkness, the same God that said, let there be light and spoke that into existence, spoke light into existence, that same God, 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 I, 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 Jesus, 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 and he's given us the capacity to believe and to know, no, no, no. We know, we know, we know, we know. Faith, 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 faith. As we, as we, as we, as we crumble, crumble, we are by him. And we grow in submission to him because of what we value. Because of what we believe, it changes the way we act. So, we're created in the image of God. Genesis. Romans informs us of how sin has broken that image and caused us to only see it, as Paul would say, through a veil or through a broken mirror, in a sense, is what he describes. Sin breaks our ability to see that. Jesus comes. He He lived a perfect life. He laid down his life for us, took up his life again, the gospel conquering sin and death, so that we can be restored to that image that God created us with to reflect God's image more fully. Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. We couldn't see God. The people of God couldn't see him. And then Jesus came 
And when they see Jesus, when they saw Jesus, they saw God. When we see Jesus, we have a relationship with God. And we begin to reflect his image. And all of this, all that I just described, the reason my friend says that Christianity is all about image is that that is worth fighting for. It's worth fighting to remember the gospel. When I say fight, I don't mean physically fight. I mean pursuing these things. And it's worth fighting to help one another remember this gospel and reflect the image of Christ that's been restored in us by that gospel. And what we do here at City Church, as you've heard me talk about and begin to allude to more and more, and you're going to hear more and more about it, we do that in a fight club. Some of you might ask, where did they get that name? That sounds silly. I heard about it in a movie once, maybe some of you. It's because we have to fight to remember the gospel. We're going to walk out of here and we're going to forget the gospel. And our enemy desires that we would forget the gospel. And so we say... We are going to gather together intentionally in relationships with our friends to fight for the image of the gospel to be restored. It's worth fighting for. Yesterday, <clears throat> I rode in a cycling event. It's called the, called the Hotter in Hell 100. I rode my bicycle 100 miles on purpose <laughs> and voluntarily. And it did live up to its name. It was really, really hot. It was like, it was hot, and then there was a little bit of a wind, which made it worse on a bicycle, and that wind was like riding into a blow dryer. So just this afternoon, if you want to experience what I did, my face looks a little red. It's not these lights, I promise you. It's from that. But as I was riding yesterday with this message on my heart and Yes, sometimes I ride my bicycle and just meditate on God's word and spend time thinking about what I'm going to do, especially on a Saturday as I open up God's word for us on Sunday mornings. It was a perfect image of what we do in discipleship and what God has blessed us with in relationships. So there were moments yesterday where as I'm riding along, I felt strong, I felt good, my legs were strong. I didn't feel out of breath. I wasn't struggling along. And so I would go to the front. And as I would go to the front, my friend and a couple of other guys would sort of fall in line behind me. And I would go and I would cut through all of the wind and I would protect them. And it's known sort of in a physics situation that as you draft right behind, you ride right behind another rider. You get very close. Those wheels are almost near touching you save at least 30% of your energy by drafting off of those individuals, those people that are going ahead of you. And so I'd hang out front, I'd be out front for a while, and then I'd get tired. I would begin to struggle. So I'd fall to the back, and I would draft off of my friend, and he would go ahead of me, and he would protect me from the wind, and he would save, my energy would be sort of conserved as I did that. And all day long for 100 miles, there was just this rotation. Some days I'm strong. Some moments I was feeling good and I was able to go forward. And in other moments, I needed to fall back. Each and every one of us are no different than that in life. There are days when we are believing the gospel. We know the truth of the gospel. Christ's image in us is being reflected. Our submission to his lordship is fully present in our lives in all areas. And so we go to the front and we gather up our friends. We gather up those people that we love and that are close to us. And I say, brother and brother, get behind me. I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to fight in your life to help you remember and believe the gospel. 
And just moments later, there's going to come a moment in time where my sin and the issues of this world, I am weakened by that. And I need a brother to come alongside of me and say, brother, I'm going to fight for you to remember the gospel. I'm going to remind you of it. And I'm going to help you get behind me. That's what we do in discipleship. This I know is a form of discipleship as I try to open up God's word for us, as other preachers come and open up God's word for us in this church. But true, the greatest application of discipleship happens when we get one or two other believers with us and we say, I'm gonna encourage you, I'm gonna help you, I'm gonna fight for you. That's what we do. That's what we're called to do. And so what we're inviting you to do as a church is that we would commit to look for those relationships. Unless you are a first-time guest here, my expectation, because Paul Freeland does a very good job of making sure that we all meet someone on Sunday mornings, you know someone, you've met someone, perhaps here in this church or just through relationships in your neighborhood, wherever it might be, those relationships are important And we're called to take those relationships as believers and say, I want to help you, brother. I want to help you, sister. Let's commit to getting together and opening up God's word together. Not starting with our life and talking about all the circumstances of our life, but let's start our conversations once a week at least in God's word and then apply life, get to life later, talk about how this helps us in life, how it ministers to us, how it reminds us of the gospel so that we can be restored to the image of Christ. That's all it is. That's a fight club I just described for you. Now, we know we all need a little bit of help in that. We need some, 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 uh, the bumper rails and the bowling alley. All right, so what we're gonna do, I've talked about this before, but starting on September 12th at seven o'clock in the evening, right after our evening prayer service this, this, coming up this next month, we're gonna have a class called What is Fight Club? And we're going to look at that book that I just referenced, Gospel-Centered Discipleship, by my friend Jonathan Dotson. Planted a church down in Austin called Austin City Life. A great man of God and just an expert, I would say, in the area of discipleship and making disciples. And so I want to invite every single person in our church to come here at 7 o'clock, September the 12th, for three weeks in a row. And we're going to look at this. We're going to open that book up. We're going to talk about what it means to be in a fight club. And we're going to begin, I hope, to just multiply groups of people Men and women getting together to fight for the gospel in each other's lives, to remind ourselves of who Jesus is. Would you commit with me? Whether you come to the class, I want you to. But even if not, perhaps some of you I know as I look out, some of you are already in those relationships. But I just want to ask you, as your brother in Christ, as one of your pastors, to commit to fighting for the image of God, fighting for the gospel truth in one another's lives. We need one another. I need you. You need someone else. These relationships matter. And God has blessed us and gifted us with an opportunity, with the blessing of these relationships. And so we just say we're going to commit to taking the relationships that God has already given us and say we want to grow together as followers of Jesus. Let's pray and ask for the Holy Spirit to help us in that. Father God, we thank you for the gift of this day, day that you created and you set apart before time began so that we might be able to be together 
a day that you preserved your word so that we might have it and we might be able to open it up together this morning and hear from you. I do pray right now that your word would transform our lives. As we reflect on the glory of our Savior Jesus, that we would remember the gospel. We would remember his life given, laid down for me and for everyone in this room, for everyone that can hear my voice. So often, Lord Jesus, I know I forget. I forget what you have already done in my life. I forget who you are. I begin to get consumed with the things of this world and I'm so thankful for brothers in my life that remind me that I can draft off of when my sin overwhelms my knowledge of who you are. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would help us to be a people of God who commit in love to love one another enough to just say we're going to find one another take the relationships that you've already given us and say we want to meet together regularly in community and fight for the gospel on behalf of our brothers or our sisters we need your help in that Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the hope of the gospel. As we're about to sing, we are amazed. The fact that you would love me is a mystery to me. But I thank you that I can come together with my brothers and sisters in this room and I can just marvel at your love for me. I pray that anyone in this room who is doubting your love, perhaps your word, pierce their hearts so that they might believe today how much you love them. They might believe in the gospel. They might be redeemed. They might be made new today. We believe that you can do that and we ask you to do that even as we begin to sing, Jesus. We pray all these things in your mighty and holy name. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we look forward to seeing you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.